absolutely, I dealt with a lot of shame, isolation, and I didn't really have anyone in my area to talk to about it. No one was really quiet in my same boat. And I felt like no one felt the way that I did. I still kind of feel like that, actually. Hey, podcast listener, even if you are alone in your entrepreneurial journey, know that today, right now in your earbuds, you are joined by thousands of entrepreneurs from all around the globe seeking to grow better, more profitable, location-independent businesses. If you'd like to learn more about what we do and download our entire back catalog, check out tropicalmba.com. Boss man, we are here live at the ranchette. This is the first show. Mm-hmm. I can't say it's an ideal podcast location. What? I don't mean to hurt your feelings, but there's a lot of critters around here that are frankly deadly, and there's no AC set up in your garage. Well, you got plenty of toys that are quite distracting. I feel like we could drive somewhere, we could ride somewhere. We could. There's all kinds of stuff we could do. None of which fall into the podcasting category. Wow, this is where I podcast. <laughs> I'm in shorts which is pretty typical when it's 100 degrees. You're in long pants, so I could see how you'd be uncomfortable. We're here in Austin. We got a big event this weekend. We're throwing a party on your property for the members of the D.C. I'm pumped about it, man. I'm nervous. I don't have insurance. (laughs) I got to call and update that policy. Today, we are going to talk about something that's taboo. Are you down for it? Mm -hmm. There's this idea... On this show, often we set up this dichotomy between, you know, are you employed or are you an entrepreneur? You know, do you have a quote real job or have you started a business? And obviously, a lot of people listen in, they're business owners or they want to be business owners. And once you become a business owner, there can be a lot of pressure to remain one. And there can be a lot of shame, like negative social pressure if you decide to go back and get a job. And frankly, I think that sucks. Why does that suck? I think it sucks because I think jobs are great for a lot of things. First off, they can help to reduce a lot of the stress that entrepreneurs have. So if you want to focus on other things in your life, but also I think jobs are a great place to learn skills. We talk about it all the time. Go get an apprenticeship. Go work for somebody that's doing something fascinating. You're getting paid to learn. This is like, this is better than the college model in my mind. What I love about jobs for me personally, my view is jobs are great for learning Not necessarily for earning, although there are certain careers that pay really, really well. I mean, here's a question for you. Is there any job that you would take right now? I did this thought experiment before we started recording this show, and I listed all the things that I like about my life, my freedom, my income, the ways in which I spend my time, and I have a hard time imagining a job that will afford me all the things that I enjoy now. You're telling me if some guy came along and said you could be the director of their race team that you wouldn't take that job? Uh, no, because I'd have to travel too much. I'd like to be involved in some way. But look, there might be a job out there that I would take. I just haven't seen it yet. And I'm sure it exists. Today, we're going to be speaking with someone who's going through that challenge and who felt some of that stress to remain an entrepreneur, even though they felt that maybe it wasn't the best for them at that moment. And I'll let them tell their story. I honestly think this is a brave thing to do, to come on this episode and share this story. This happens all the time. This kind of pressure, it sucks that it exists. I honestly think that. So today's guest is Anna Wickham. And we know Anna because she was a listener to the show and she was a TMBA intern. Yep. Many, many years ago, started an agency, a marketing agency, which still exists. You can check out her business and what she's up to at AnnaWickham.com. So I'm a reader of AnnaWickham.com. She's a great writer. And 
A few weeks ago, I read a post called Why I'm Quitting Full-Time Entrepreneurship and Getting a Real Job. And like many of Anna's posts, it was thought-provoking, interesting, a lot of people commenting and interacting with it. I absolutely loved it. So I reached out to her and I asked her if she'd come on the show. She said, faux show. Brave. Now, Anna spent the last nearly a decade traveling. Actually, I think that that was her primary motivation to get into the entrepreneurship game as it is for so many of us. She started off working as a teacher in South Korea, which by the way, I think is still a pretty good opportunity if you want to see, get paid to see the world a great job. Entrepreneurship isn't the only way to travel. There's a lot of jobs that pay you to travel. Then established a digital marketing agency called Charm House. But let me read a few of Anna's words to let you know some of the flavor of this article. Quote, If you have been in the entrepreneur community for more than five minutes, you know that this three-letter word job is like profanity. It's worse than a profanity. It's blasphemy. It's treason. And then she continues, I quote, those who return to a job after life in entrepreneurship surely would never do so by choice. And yet I am. So what gives? So let's find out. Let's follow the story. And by the way, all the links mentioned in this show will be posted at Tropical MBA dot com slash quitting entrepreneurship. So full disclosure, I'm not currently employed. I've been looking, I've been some interviews, you know, so several things going on, but I haven't committed to anything yet. The article that this interview is about, I never intended to share this. I just started writing because I wanted to sort out what was in my own head. And then I thought, you know, I think that this needs to be shared because I haven't seen anything like it on the internet. Well, I would like to hear a little bit of your story. I'm curious just about a little bit about your career arc and how you've approached it. Yeah, absolutely. I was studying classical piano in college, mostly because my mom told me to study anything that I thought I could do for four years. And I couldn't stand the thought of studying anything else except for music for four years. So I I didn't really know what I wanted to do. But in 2008, I studied abroad and I realized, oh my gosh, I want to travel abroad. I got a job teaching English in South Korea, where I lived for a year and a half, got to travel all around Asia. And that was my first experience with Asia. Because with my particular job, I got lucky. I had a lot of time off. Went to Thailand for the first time, went to Tokyo, got to go to Bali for the first time. So there was that. And yeah, you got to meet a lot of other people from other countries who were teaching in the area. You just had the time of your life. So Put me in your emotional state when you arrive back from this year abroad, a year and a half teaching. You had a time of a lifetime. You land back home. Where are you at at that moment? Well, I thought that I would get it out of my system, but that didn't really work that way because I got back and I really wanted to go travel again. And so I thought I would become a music professor. And that way I figured I would have three months off and it still seemed like a really respectable profession. I'm like, okay, that seems legitimate, respectable, and I can still take summers off to go travel. So bonus. So I started a master's degree at the University of Arizona in musicology, but I quickly realized I was not, I think all of my motives were totally wrong. I just wanted to travel. I didn't really want to be a professor. <laughs> so I got there and all my, everybody around me wanted, was really into music. And I thought that was pretty weird. I finished my master's degree and just opted out before I pursued anything further. And then I was basically back to square one. 
It's sort of remarkable that you push through. Like the whole time you're at university, you're like, I'm not like the rest of the people here, but you still finished. Yeah, well, honestly, I didn't have a better plan. And <laughs> I knew that half of a master's degree will never show up on my resume, never really show up in my life. But a full one, you have it forever. You never have to renew it. And, you know, even I'm applying for jobs now and they ask the highest level of education and I get to say master's degree. Never mind that it's in musicology, probably the least useful <laughs> skill in the universe. So I thought, well, I'm back to square one. I need to start over. I'm going to start over in something that lets me travel the world again because that's my, my major passion. And so that's how I got into digital marketing. I got to say, I love having sponsors for this show. It's allowed us to grow our team and we want to do more with the podcast. So thank you to our sponsors. Today's sponsor deserves thanks, growthninja.com. And I'm going to link up to an episode where you can hear the story of how Growth Ninja started. And what's even cooler is that Growth Ninja's created incredible results for many listeners of this show. Let me read a case study from former guest Russ Perry, the founder of Design Pickle. He said, without a doubt, Facebook ads have been the number one lead generation source for making this work. And he's speaking about their incredible growth. It's working so well that 20% of their current customers came from the Facebook funnel that Growth Ninja set up for them. And the best part is Growth Ninja's pricing is performance-based. So you're not paying a flat rate. You pay when you get profits. So what do you have to lose? Go ahead and check it out. It's growthninja.com. And when you go over there, let them know that the TMBA pod sent you. Dan, I think it's safe to say that Anna's path into founding her agency, Charm House, had multiple steps that many listeners to the show will recognize, including a stint doing an apprenticeship on a remote island in the Philippines. Yeah, pretty cool stuff. <laughs> but let's cut to the part of Anna's story where we last met her. And it wasn't so long ago. It was October 2015 at our annual event in Bangkok, DCBKK. And she really seemed to be doing well from a entrepreneurship and business perspective. I mean, she even brought a project manager that she'd taken with her to the event. Everything was going great. My plan was actually, I was already scheming in my mind that I was planning on going back to the US in December of 2015, living maybe in Austin or, or somewhere and building up my agency because I realized that my strength was really in person doing like seminars and that kind of thing. And I was planning to use events and those sorts of things that you can't really do when you're overseas. So it didn't go according to plan when I got back. It was... Being in the US, the market was so different. So I was dealing with people who were really tech savvy in the digital nomad community. And then I go back to the real world where no one knows what content marketing is. I think I was ahead of my time with having content marketing agency. I mean, people didn't even have websites. And I was like, oh no, this is not going the way that I want it. No one wants to invest in this kind of thing. They want to invest in like a full digital marketing agency where the person that would build and manage their website, do their content. I was just like, this is not, I don't know what I'm going to do. Well, tell me about that. Like, what did you do? It must have been stressful. <laughs> it was stressful. This time last year, I guess, more May, June, July, I realized that my model was not the way that I wanted it to be, even if business was booming, which it wasn't. 
I planned on getting a project manager who would handle all of my current clients, automate that process, and then I would go out and get new clients, then automate that process, and then you know, do nothing for the rest of my life. That was the plan. <laughs> but it didn't work because my clients didn't want to work with my project manager. They wanted to work with me. And that tied up my time so that basically I was essentially a glorified freelancer at that point where my time was tied up with my clients. So how do you make more money at that point? You either charge more or you, you get more clients, but I couldn't get more clients because they all, they wanted my attention. So I realized the agency model was, and then of course, here's the other thing about an agency model. Russ Perry talked about this exact same issue with the agency model. He was running, and this was maybe a year ago he was on your show, fantastic interview. And he was talking about how he had tons of money coming in and tons of money going out. And that is the agency model to a T. So even if I could get things running the way that I planned, you spend all this money on your team because you have to have a lot of manpower to produce high quality. And so once you get all your revenue in, all your revenue goes back out. I would get a new client, I'd be so excited, and then I'd have to have new staff to service that new client. You talk a lot about how as entrepreneurs, we sort of reinforce each other because it's hard, right? So you kind of keep each other pumped up. Were there moments when that worldview started to crack a little bit and you're like, hey, maybe, maybe this isn't the best path for me right now? My first fatal flaw was moving back to the US and moving back to Oklahoma City, my hometown, which is a great place to be. And I'm so glad I'm here. But there's not a lot of location independent entrepreneurs here, not a lot of young entrepreneurs here, more the traditional entrepreneurs that you, Dan, talked about going to networking events, people you said throwing business cards at you, I think you said. So a lot of that kind of stuff going on here. But then the other problem was that everyone here seemed happy with what they were doing in their job. In fact, maybe even happier than me. And so that, talk about the worldview cracking. I had this mindset of, oh, everyone hates their job. Everyone hates their corporate career. They feel taken advantage of. And you know what? The people I met didn't. They didn't hate their career. In fact, they loved their career. Another dogma that was cracked was employees are just exploited by employers. And when you're an employee, you're paid to build someone else's dream. Well, the people I met, they had their own dreams. And if they weren't treated well by their employer, they would go get another employer because they were highly sought after by businesses investing thousands and thousands of dollars in recruiting agencies or internal recruiting to find and keep that talent. So then that skewed everything. I thought, well, these people don't seem unhappy. They have more money in the bank than me. They have more time than I do. And they have the upper hand in their career because if ever they're unhappy where they are, they'll even go somewhere else and probably get paid even more. When did you start taking the first steps to change your direction? Not until about the time I wrote that blog post. So I was constantly confronted with friends, you know, my boyfriend, people saying, seeing how stressed I was and how I didn't have time for anything. I was just constantly feeling like I was going to turn a corner. This is it. This is the last push. And then I'm going to turn a corner and it's going to be smooth sailing. Well, I would turn that corner and it would just be like another mountain ahead of me. My friends would see this and they'd be like, you know, Anna, I see this job opening over here. I think you'd be really good at it. And I would say, no. You are the enemy. <laughs> Get thee behind me, Satan, as we say in, in the Pentecostal church that I grew up in. Soon I, I came to a point and I had just turned another corner. And this was supposed to be my big break. This was it. And I was running out of energy, running out of morale. And I turned a corner and it was just another corner. Was it a client? 
It wasn't a client. No, it was, it was one of my schemes, one of my plans. The plan was at this point, I was trying to get out of the agency model because of the problems I just explained. And I was working to get into online education through an online membership community, which is the holy grail of passive recurring revenue. But I did a webinar and really nothing much came of it. And I thought, and it wasn't the first time that it happened. And I thought, oh my gosh, what about my life? My car's falling apart. My friends are putting deposits in on homes. Like, I just, I was like, what am I doing this for? When do I get to enjoy my life? Like, when does this come to an end? Because I don't see an end in sight. But I do see this job over here that I think I I could do really well at and could enjoy and would help me reach some of my personal goals. Did people try to talk you out of doing this? Did you feel a sense of shame? Absolutely. That was part of the reason why I wrote that blog post, actually, because I was trying to work out what am I doing? Why am I doing it? I need to write out all the reasons why I'm doing this so that I can see them on paper and think about it and decide if this is the direction I want to go. By the time I was done with that blog post, I knew that I was making the right decision. I have a business coach and a sort of like a financial coach. I spoke to her about it and she said, no, I don't think that's a good idea. Everyone wants to be where you are. You've worked so hard to be where you are. Look at all you've accomplished. And I thought, no, I'm past the point of being able to be talked out of this. But yeah, absolutely, I dealt with a lot of shame, isolation, and I didn't really have anyone in my area to talk to about it. No one was really quiet in my same boat. And I felt like no one felt the way that I did. I still kind of feel like that, actually. What was the response that you got from people who read your post? I was really overwhelmed by the amount of encouragement that I received, but not just about my own personal life and journey. A lot of people telling me the things that they had done, people saying that they had gotten out of entrepreneurship and you know, gotten into a corporate gig and thought it was the best decision they ever made. A lot of entrepreneurs who didn't make that decision, who were you know, still in the entrepreneur lifestyle and who said that they really respected that and that they you know, could see why I'd want to do that and they wished me the best. So I was really overwhelmed by that response. I didn't actually receive much. I'm sure lots of people, maybe they'll comment on this podcast episode. Lots of people I'm sure were like, She is a failure. She gave up. She quit too soon. She's making the wrong decision. She's going to regret this. No one told me that. I'm sure lots of people thought that. Let me read some of your prose back to you, and I want to get your thoughts on it. I am ashamed to say that I have shot down the idea of getting a job when entrepreneur friends have come to me and told me they were considering it. You must understand that sometimes the only tiny thread that is keeping someone holding on to the entrepreneur life are these dogmas. You go on to list some beliefs that people that are entrepreneurs hold. Do you remember any one of them? Yeah, I remember one in particular. It was in my mastermind with some fellow DCers. Hey, I'm going to zoom in here to do the work that I should have done while I was talking to Anna and describe that a mastermind in this case is a group of people that we facilitate through our group, the DC, the Dynamite Circle, to put like minds together They generally get on calls every other week to share their biggest business problems and to help each other grow their business. A member had just moved to Austin and there's a lot of tech opportunities in Austin. So this member was, my mastermind said, you know, I'm looking at getting this job. He had met lots of some local young Austin professionals. They liked their job. Their boss was cool. Their work was cool. So he was saying all these benefits and I, so this is me projecting 
myself onto that person. You know, I wasn't trying to convince him not to take a job. I was, I think deep down, although this was, uh, let's see, a year and a half ago now, I was trying to convince myself not to take a job. Now, I'm not saying I was considering a job at that time consciously, but maybe somewhere deep subconsciously I was. And so I was trying to convince myself, no, we got to stick it through. They're throwing away the long-term possibilities in favor of short-term you know, instant gratification and all those things that we've all heard a hundred times. Do you have a strong consciousness or emotion when I say the words resume gap? (laughs) Yes, this has been one of my biggest. In fact, I wrote an article. You can look it up on Thought Catalog right about the time I was starting my business. And it was about how much I hated having to arrange my life to satisfy a future employer who might wonder about my resume gap. Specifically, I talked about resume gaps in that article. It was like 2014. Yeah, so I do feel strongly and I still feel strongly about that because I I do actually still have this rebellious location independent side that most of the career types around here don't have, which is that I wanna be the leader of my own life. And if I wanna have a gap in my resume, then I want to have a gap in my resume (laughs) and it's my life. And maybe I want to travel or maybe I just have some passive income and I don't need to work for a while. So yeah, I think that as long as you are confident about those gaps in your resume and you knew what you were doing and why you were doing it, then people don't really have a problem with it. I think the resume gap is going to be retired in the next 10 years because of people deciding to travel between school and getting their job. So, Dan, I'm curious about what your thought is about that. Boss man, I got to jump in here because this issue of resume gaps, what do you think of when I say resume gap? When I was trying to get a job or when I was in the market for a job, I was scared of having a resume gap. You know, you hear stories of people saying like, uh, you know, where have you been for the last two years? Well, let me say this. There might be European, Canadian, Australian people listening to this saying like, is this a real thing? Are these people insane? And I think this might be very different for Americans. And because our culture, we don't travel. We don't take gap years. We don't take a year off. If you're lucky, you do a year abroad when you're in college. That's acceptable, right? That's totally acceptable. Oh, yeah. You took a year off between college and work. I totally get that. You wanted to see Europe on your parents' dime or something like that. It's such a contentious topic, but the bottom line is our generation, and I'm sure the generation after us, made decisions based on avoiding resume gaps. Like this idea of a resume gap in America is like, I'm leaving one job on a Friday. I'm telling my next job that I can't come back to work until two and a half weeks later. That's the acceptable resume gap. But this idea that you could go abroad or this idea that you could work for your aunt for you know, a year or two on our business or something. It's insane. Like that that's just not what a career traditionally would look like. And it would be a liability in a job interview in America. Well, what do you mean you took off a year to build your own home? What do you mean you were responsible enough to save up enough money to go on vacation for a year? You know what it is? I think a lot of it comes from the insecurity of the person that's interviewing you and doesn't have the opportunity to do that themselves. I think most people in when my girlfriend quit her job, She went into the office and she told the older engineers at her job and she told the younger engineers at her job, the younger engineers had that resume gap thing on their face. The older engineers said, good for you, go for it. I really wish I did that when I was your age. 100%. And there's something like a positive filter here that 
The reality is, is that as any job candidate, you can't appeal to everybody. And if something's unique about you, maybe that interviewee was in France for a few years, like you went and that's what you connect over. Do you remember that time? I think I've told the story a few times where for some reason there was nobody on our sales team to go to a valet conference. And this was like years after I had been living abroad and stuff. <laughs> I was like, Dan, you want to go to this conference? You're like, no, not really. I was like, well, I got you a shirt. I made you a shirt. You're like, okay. I had to send you a shirt. You're like, yeah, they look pretty cool. And then the whole time until we met this guy, you were just like the guy that didn't care. You know, you're just like, huh. Oh. <laughs> I don't really care about this. I was like, hey, man, come on. You're representing the company over here. But then you met this one guy. Well, it was like I, I didn't know how to connect with people, you know? The other thing is that we're a vendor at this conference. And you had been living in the bush, just to paint a picture further. You'd been living in the bush for like the last two years. You like uh, had to hem your cut off shorts, you know? You like had to tuck them up. You guys are like sales professionals. You're like, oh, you know, we've been talking for six months about that podium deal or whatever. And I, I rock up and I'm like, I've been doing the SEO, you know? And so <laughs> finally I was like, you know what? I'm going to let my hair down a little bit here. And I started telling some guy that, you know what? I live in Bali. And he's like, oh my gosh. I can't wait to go to Bali. He started telling me about his trip to wherever. And, and he's like, oh, so what do you do? And I'm like, oh, you know, we're the podium guys. And all of a sudden it was like, we had something to connect over. And maybe the lesson here is like, being true to yourself can be a good career strategy too. You know, it's not just for artists. <laughs> I don't even, I don't know if I ever told you the punchline of this story though. No. But this, this is the guy that owned the company that ultimately would never pay their bills. <laughs> I'm not kidding. He's spending all his they money all, on world travel. <laughs> they were always delinquent. At some point, we had to cut them off. I, I know the name of the company, but it's not worth mentioning. All right, enough of our story, man. Let's get back to Anna's story. There was another thing that I was curious about as we were talking. Did Anna regret devoting herself for those years to full-time entrepreneurship? Because, of course... This itself can look like a resume gap if you do something that's off course of the traditional career track. Not at all. Not at all. Everything happened exactly as it was supposed to happen. And see, I learned so much about myself and personal development because of entrepreneurship. If it wasn't for that, I would have always thought that the job was the problem. But you can always blame it on someone else when you have a job. But when you are your own employer, when you are kind of the master of your own destiny, when things don't work out, you don't have anyone to blame but yourself. And then you have to face some uncomfortable truths about yourself. So... I think that it's it's great to be entrepreneurial, but there comes a time when you do have to take care of yourself. And you can do that absolutely while you have a business, for sure. But I neglected to take care of myself while I had a business. I was not treating my body right. I was drinking too much. I was working too much. That was one of the biggest realizations that I had. And so I think that that's probably the next wave in entrepreneurship out of this kind of Gary V work 15 hours a day for 20 years or whatever. Gary V is Gary Vaynerchuk, a vlogger, entrepreneur, social media expert and author who's well known for his work on Wine Library TV and now for promoting, I think it's fair to say, like the hustle workaholic entrepreneur lifestyle. You know, it's not realistic to live like that. And I don't want to wake up in 20 years and wonder what I was doing. You know, I didn't live. I didn't take care of myself. My life passed me by. So that's just kind of something I think that we should talk more about in, in the entrepreneurial world. One other thing I want to mention briefly is that you don't have to choose one or the other and then stick with it for 40 years. 
So just because I'm moving out of full-time entrepreneurship right now doesn't mean that I consider myself less of an entrepreneur, doesn't mean that I, I may not have lots of entrepreneurial endeavors in the future. And just because someone gets a job doesn't mean that they're going to do that for the rest of their life either. So it all led me to where I'm supposed to be. And I'm so, so grateful for, for the journey and for the learning that I, I've been able to accumulate over the years. Anna. Must respect. Come back and let us know how things unfold for you. We want to continue to follow the story here on the show. Thanks for sharing. Thanks so much for having me, Dan. It's kind of a dream come true. And I'm just so glad to, to talk on these important topics. No. The links and show notes to everything Anna wrote about and mentioned will be posted at this episode, tropicalmba.com slash quitting entrepreneurship. What's the lesson to this show, boss man? First off, write blog posts about your experience. I love Anna's blog. I love being able to connect with her, not just socially or from a business perspective, but just to dig into some ideas that are relevant to our world right now. So that's cool to hear about her experience. Number two. Don't let your ego get in the way. Yeah. If there's something that you want to pursue, this entrepreneurship, it's a label. A job is a label, you know? Don't let these labels get in the way of what you want to pursue with your life. And entrepreneurship, at its core, it's not something to associate with, like a badge of honor. It's a way of approaching the world. Some of the most entrepreneurial people in the world work for great companies. They're on great teams. And there's plenty of business owners who don't have an entrepreneurial bone in their body. Yeah, they're, most of them, especially <laughs> a lot of the ones that I've met are unemployable, in fact, and that's why they gravitate towards entrepreneurship. That's the reality of it. You know, <laughs> the, the number one reason people own businesses is because no one will hire them. <laughs> right. <laughs> All right. Thanks for joining us. Thanks to Anna for writing about her experience and for joining us here at the TMBA. We're going to be back with another story next Thursday morning, 8 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. Hey, thanks for listening to the Tropical MBA podcast. You can go to tropicalmba.com, get access to hundreds of back episodes and all kinds of other goodies. Load up your iPod. That is the cheapest way to fly business class on your next international flight. We will see you next Thursday morning, 8 a.m. Eastern Standard Time.